Last week, we started a series called Fresh Start, and uh, we talked about a couple different ways that God wants to do new things in us. It might seem a little bit canned or a little bit um, kind of status quo to talk about the start of a new year and talk about um, you know, making a resolution of some sort, but it is something that we think about when we think about a new year. We think about a fresh start, a blank slate. We want to save some money. We want to lose some weight. We want to buy a fill in the blank. We want to whatever it is that we want to do. And so we kind of make these goals and these pledges at the start of a new year. I said last week, I did some research and found 60% of all resolutions fail by the 30-day mark. (laughs) That's pretty true of humanity, that we just kind of don't stick with it. We've got good ambition and we've got goals, but then 80% have failed by the time the second end of the month rolls around. So in 60 days or less, I'm giving you hope. You might not be well on your way to the resolution that you wanted. But my encouragement last week was for us as believers to have a spiritual resolution. Make a spiritual resolution that's biblical this year. Make a resolution to be faithful in your service to the king and in the house of God. Make a resolution to become a full faithful tither. Make a resolution to share your faith with others. Make a spiritually oriented resolution. And I promise you, God will give you the grace to keep on making that thing happen. It's very hard but the hard work will be worth it. We like things that are new, don't we? Um, We like new furniture. We like a new house. We like all that sort of stuff, a new car, new clothes. There's something special about a new relationship or maybe a new baby being brought into the world. Um, It might be for a new job, as long as it's paying better than the last job you had. There's something exhilarating about having things that are new. My in-laws live in a city up in northeast yeah, Mississippi, up near Tupelo, a little place called Ponatoc. And in their town, they have a, um, a Mexican family who has literally just monopolized the Mexican food market. And they have three restaurants in different sections of town. And so they've just made a monopoly of Mexican fare. And down here in Mississippi, we like Mexican food. But all of a sudden, something new happened in their community just a couple months ago. And they built a Taco Bell right off the exit. Now, you should know me by now, and the fact is I appreciate good food. I don't believe Taco Bell is food, but some of you like it and you're okay with it. I'll let that be and let that lie. But what I will say is this, that place has been wrapped up with people since the day it opened. They like Taco Bell, or they like something new, and they're excited that they finally have one in their neck of the woods, so they, all of a sudden, they congregate, they flock around those new things. It's experiencing something new can be invigorating, but it can also be terrifying. We said last week that our creator, who's the God of heaven and earth, he makes all things new. Scripture declares this from literally from the beginning in Genesis when he creates something out of nothing till the end in Revelation when he comes and when he comes, he says, I am the one who makes all things new. So this is God's favorite thing to do is to do new things. 
Two things I'm sure of. I shared these last week, but since you weren't here, maybe, I want to make sure that you understand them again. If you were here, bear with me. But these two things are true that I found out about change. The first thing is this. Everything in life but God changes. Everything changes. Seasons change, organizations change, leadership change, um, you know, businesses change, ownership. All of these things change. We've seen a change in our weather pattern, and I think there's good news. Uh, by Wednesday, it's going to be 70 degrees again and probably high humidity, all right? So we see that things change all around us. Everything changes but God. In Malachi chapter 3, God himself says through the prophet Malachi, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. The second thing I know and I'm sure of about change is that it's uncomfortable. How many of you have ever been uncomfortable with a change? Just raise your hand, right? We've been uncomfortable with some sort of change that's either something we've chosen or something that might have been chosen for us. But moving from one place to another or one thing to another or one state of mind or state of being to another requires work and energy. The truth is we like comfort you want to be comfortable. That's why you bought that lazy boy recliner or you have that bed in your house because you want to be comfortable. Having something that's new requires us to be uncomfortable for a period of time until we acclimate to that change. So change always takes us to somewhere new. I was reminded um, by Facebook this morning and over this weekend that five years ago today, actually, I was standing on a platform in a church on an island in Hawaii, and I was being installed as the pastor of that church. It was an exciting day. You should have seen the picture. I've got like lays, like you can't see that I have a neck or like a chin. They're like just everywhere. The superintendent was there. It was a, a powerful service. It was an encouragement to us. We just, we were having a blast. It was awesome. Never did I think that five years later, I would be in Mississippi. Never did I think. But living a life of obedience to God has a way of making us experience change. And you know what? I don't regret it for a minute. I hope you know that when I communicate about the past and ministry for my wife and family and I, that although we loved being there, we also love what God did in bringing us here. And I wouldn't change a thing. I'm really thankful that God brought us out and delivered us and brought us to a place like Clinton, Mississippi. But living a life of obedience to God always is exciting. When we think about a new year, we think about a blank slate or a fresh start, but I want to ask you this question this morning. What area of your life do you want a fresh start in? Just think about that for a second. Maybe you've already made a resolution. I'm not gonna ask you to fill out a card today and make a resolution and leave it at the altar or anything like that. But think about that for a second. What area of your life do you want a fresh start in? Some of you, it may be a spiritual thing. Some of you may be physical. It may be many different things and you wish you could accomplish them all. Let me ask you a better said or stated question, which is this. What area of your life do you need a fresh start in? Because sure, we want plenty of money in the bank. We want the house that we don't have to pay for. We want all those things. But at the same time, what do we need in our life? What area of our life do we need a fresh start in? Ask yourself and think about that this morning while you go with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. 
Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to give you some background while you flip there. You can go there on your device using our Wi-Fi. It's free. Just connect to celebrate. But go with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Some background to what we're going to read this morning. Ezekiel was a priest and he was a prophet in the days of the Babylonian captivity. Now, this is 600 years before Christ arrives on the scene. This is 600 years before the Messiah arrives, and they are in captivity with the Babylonians. So the Babylonians siege Jerusalem, and this happens in 598 BC. BC standing for before Christ, okay? Before that time. Now, it's important for you to understand something about captivity. For the Israelites, captivity didn't just happen. Did you find Ezekiel 37? All right, cool. Captivity didn't just happen because God was like, oh, it seems like a fun thing for me to take the nation, which are my chosen people, and throw them in chains to a foreign government. He's not like that. Sometimes we might think about our own life and think that God is like some wicked puppeteer moving the pieces of a, a, maybe a chessboard around in a certain way, and we think, wow, this is absolutely crazy. But they were in captivity for a reason. They were in captivity because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, because they chose to serve other gods, because they chose not to obey God's law and his plan. So captivity happened for those who live in disobedience. And bondage today still occurs, listen to me, in human hearts that live in disobedience to God's word. Captivity still happens. It may not happen to whole people groups, but it happens to individual hearts that choose to live in disobedience to God's word. This is an active and unbreakable law of God's own design. We can't get something for nothing except for salvation. Amen? Amen? We can't get something for nothing except for salvation. Everything else requires our own response, our own responsibility. Everything in our life we choose, we've got to work towards and work for. When it comes to the word of God, God gives his covenant. He gives it to Moses. He gives it to Abraham. He lays out for them this plan all throughout the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, when Jesus is with us here on the earth, he lays out this plan that says, if you do this, I will do this. If you disobey, I will do this. And so now these people are experiencing the judgment of God in this time being in captivity to the Babylonians. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, don't turn there because you're already in Ezekiel 37, which we're going to read. But I want you to know this happens in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul the Apostle is encouraging the Galatians in that church in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. There was a longing in the heart of the Israelite people when they left and they saw God miraculously deliver them from the Egyptians. They still had some longing in their heart to go back to the comfort of Egypt, even though it was chains and slavery and hard work. They wanted to go back. Paul is still telling people then, and I, as your pastor, am still telling you now. The word of God is true. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So don't Go back. Don't slip back and be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Once you're free, you should live free, 
no going back. It just doesn't make sense if you think about it. So here's the context. God told Ezekiel to speak his words of lamentation and mourning and woe to the rebellious Israelites in chapter two of Ezekiel. So then he begins to prophesy God's judgment Some people have looked through the book of Ezekiel, the first 24 chapters, and you could look at that and say, wow, that's a lot of doom and gloom. Sounds like he's a fiery preacher going, everybody's going to die. Yes, he was telling them that to turn their heart back to the Lord, just like every other prophet, even like Jonah, who is sent to Nineveh, who's there for a reason, to turn people's hearts back to the Lord. So when people in today's politically correct environment try to tell you or talk to you about judgment and about those things, we've got to know the truth of God's word offers bad news and good news. Amen? It's bad news that we're all in a sinking ship. It's good news that we have a savior. We've got to see that for what it is. So in those days, Ezekiel could have been labeled as a doom and gloom. God's judgment is coming. Watch out, be careful. But he was calling people to repentance and he was doing that for a long period of time. He prophesied in the midst of that from chapters 12 to 24 and said to the people, I'm telling you, A day is coming, Jerusalem will fall. We will be captured and taken. Turn back to the Lord. He's been telling them that for chapters worth, which would have been years worth, and yet they haven't listened to what he said. They haven't obeyed. So after the fall of Jerusalem, his message shifts radically. And if you start to look through, you can find a change that happens in chapter 25 of Ezekiel all the way till the end. And now he starts prophesying with hope. But the temple has been destroyed. Jerusalem has been sieged. And you're sitting there maybe thinking this morning, Pastor, what does this have to do with my life here and now? We'll get to that. But it's important for us to understand the context of what was happening before we read. He starts to prophesy with hope and restoration. He prophesies of a fresh start for God's people. He prophesies that the exiles would return to the land and rebuild the temple. What we're going to read this morning falls within the context of that. So join me in chapter 37, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry, talking about the bones. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Verse six continues, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. 
And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army." Now, verse 11 through 14, he begins to explain the context of what this means to the people in that original time, in that location. Verse 11, it says, Then God, then he, said to me, Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. How about that for a fresh start? Ezekiel says that he's taken up. I'm gonna take a little moment to dissect each one of these little parts here, but he says that he was brought up by the Spirit of God to see a valley full of dry bones. He says, The hand of the Lord came on me, brought me in the Spirit of the Lord, sat me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Here's, here's something important to notice. One dead thing can come to life, and it's a miracle. But if you're talking about looking at a mass number of dead things. And we're not just talking about trees that rebloomed. We're talking about humans and their livelihood, their breath and their life coming back into them. This is an astronomical miracle that God is showing Ezekiel. It says there that they were very dry, meaning that they'd been dead for a long time. They're in a valley. They've been sun parched. So dry, that context helps us understand that the marrow that's inside of the bones had even dried up. There's no going out there with super glue or duct tape and putting this stuff back together. It's dead. By all accounts, it's dead and it's gone. It's lifeless. It's hopeless. God asked this question to Ezekiel, can they live again? But notice something here. He says something to Ezekiel really powerfully. He doesn't actually call Ezekiel and say, hey, what up, Zeke? I'm glad you're here. Want to tell you about these bones? <laughs> He's not like that. He, said, he calls him by a title. Son of man. Can these bones live again? In human construct, in, in human understanding, he's giving that title to Ezekiel saying, you were born of a woman. You are a human fleshly man. You tell me, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel's response to him is probably the perfect response. <laughs> it is, Lord, you know, 
I mean, hey, you asked me the question, you know the answer. But the best answer is that he created these people. He was with them throughout their life. He was with them when they died. Now they're dead and gone. Those bones are there. But he is the creator of life, and Ezekiel is going to show him in the context of the nation of Israel that God can bring new life where there was death. Not just restoration of something that was kind of broken, put some duct tape on it or super glue it and kind of make it look like it was new again. No, God says, I'm taking it to the next level. I'm going to have something that's completely dead and has been dead and gone, hopeless, lifeless for a long time. And I'm going to cause it to come back to life. Verse four through six, when he says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, bones, hear the word of the Lord. You gotta understand, living a life of faith sometimes might be strange when others see you obeying the Lord. He says to a valley full of bones, are you getting that? Listen to me. They don't have ear bones and ear canals. They don't have the ability to listen. But God is doing something impossible and he's putting together something impossible that's going to be shaped before Ezekiel's very eyes. It's God's breath that he promises will enter them. So not only is God the giver of life, he's not only a restorer as it comes to relationships or healing or healing in a body, in a physical body, but he's literally a restorer, a reviver of life. New life and life again. It's a process. He says he will reconstruct the body according to his blueprint. Sinew, then flesh, then skin, then breath. If you saw this happen, would you have no doubt in your mind that God is God and there is no other? If you saw him raise an army out of something that was dead, would you not believe that he is God? Verse seven and eight, it says, he prophesies as he, command, as he was commanded. He prophesied and there was a noise. Can you imagine hearing that noise, that sound of thousands and millions possibly of bones coming together? He saw the creative process of God before his very eyes. And this is what I want you to do this morning. I want you to hear with the ears of your spirit, man or woman. I want you to understand that what you have seen as hopeless and as lifeless and as without hope in your life, God can bring new life to that thing again. He can cause grace to come in where there was only judgment. He can cause freedom to come in where there was only ever bondage and slavery. God can give you a fresh start. So he, he puts the bones together sinew and flesh and then skin to cover them. They're standing there lifeless still because they have no breath in them. God says he's going to provide his breath to the process. It's his spirit that he's going to put inside of them. Verse nine through 10, when he's telling Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath and to the four winds to come and breathe on these that they may live. The first thing to notice in this portion is that he obeyed and a miracle happened. How many of you have ever struggled to obey? 
right? I struggle to obey, okay? We all struggle to obey in some way, shape, or form. Can I tell you something that's kind of embarrassing? I do this too often, maybe. Um, I struggle to obey the speed limit sometimes. And it came to bite me just recently. <laughs> and I got a $130 ticket that I have to pay because I was going, I thought it was just a few miles over, but it was a lot apparently on the Natchez Trace and it was a big deal. And the kids are in the car, so it's embarrassing. And they're like, oh, what are you, daddy, the cops are here. What's going on? You know, like it's that kind of situation in that moment. But it's a teachable moment because in the middle of my weakness and me trying to speed to get nowhere, really, I was able to start talking to them and tell them about what it means to obey and what it means to disobey and that there are always, always, always consequences for both. You can live and you can have a happy life when you obey. God says he'll give you a long life if you obey your parents. God also says that if you disobey, bad things happen. They're bound to happen. They have to happen. So you've got to understand he's there. He's doing something that if we could just talk in general frank terms, looks moronic. He's in a valley and there's a graveyard in front of him and he's talking to the bones but he's doing what God told him to do. He's been brought to a place that he knows God put him in order for him to experience new life or something which he may not have known was going to happen. But a promise is being fulfilled in these moments. And the Bible says it calls them an exceedingly great army. So God made something out of nothing. After life had expired, after it was well beyond repair, there was no coming back from this. God did something that only he can do. What is it in your life that God may want to revive? What is it in your, in your heart that he may want to do surgery on and bring back to life? Maybe, maybe you're not in the dying place. and Maybe you're at that place where you have something that you're holding on to and God wants to surgically remove it and take it away, but you're just not willing to obey. Maybe in this new year, when we talk about a fresh start, there's a challenge for you to be more of a spiritually focused person, for you to be a believer and a follower of Christ in ways that you've never been before. Maybe it'll look strange to your coworkers. Maybe it'll look strange to those around you. But if God speaks and if he says it, if he's leading you there, then you've got to obey because to not obey causes horrible things to happen. We can see that all throughout scripture, that bad stuff happens when we disobey. Can we all say in this room that we've obeyed every bit of God's word? Okay, not gonna hold my hand up to that. We have all fallen short, the Bible says, but God's grace comes in when we allow him and his Holy Spirit to work inside of us. We even sang that song this morning about can these bones live again? Yes, what we think is hopeless, lifeless, with beyond repair, God can make it have a new and a fresh start. It's important for you to understand, and I, I feel this burden, to make sure that when I speak and when I preach to you, that you understand the context of Scripture. I do not believe that the church, the Christian church today, has replaced Israel. I believe when we read the Word of God, it's literal. 
I believe that we understand exactly what happened because we read what happened. So when I talk about the context, you've got to understand, I believe that this really did happen because it's in God's word. And I believe it really does, according to verses 11 through 14, relate to the nation of Israel. That someday all the repair will be made. That God will do a new thing which they will never have seen before. He'll bring the exiles out. He'll rebuild the temple. It will be something glorious. It, it doesn't necessarily involve the current government of the nation of Israel. We have to understand this is for God's chosen people then. And it still has not yet been fulfilled to the fullest extent. But secondarily, when we look at this context, we can look at it as a church. We can see it as a church. Some of you are newer around here, and I want to put a small plug in. If you are new around here, next Sunday night, we're having something called Starting Point, and you absolutely need to be here. We're going to have food. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to talk about what happens in the church. We're going to talk about what we believe. We're going to talk about how to get involved. There's free childcare. Oh, hello. Come on. Everybody should come for that. And we want you to be here so that you can engage in the life of the church. So I say that to say, though, secondarily, it has a context for the church. We read it as believers who believe that Jesus is the Messiah of the Jewish people and that, as Paul says, we've got the ability to be grafted in. So now we believers in Christ believe that this word of God, every bit of it, can apply to us in some way, some shape, some form or fashion. And then I believe on the individual level, it can apply to you. So what is the Holy Spirit trying to communicate to you today? about what he wants to do in your life? What's the application that God would have for you today? Are you struggling with obedience in an area of your life? You say, well, I'm older now. I don't need to obey my parents anymore. <laughs> no, but are you struggling in an area of obedience to God's word? And trust me, I... I know the Holy Spirit's here and I know things are popping into people's heads right now and it doesn't involve football or food for lunch. There are things, but now you are, right? Now you're thinking about football because I said that. But let's, let's talk about this so I can wrap it up, okay? So you can see the rest of the wild card weekend. But here we go. There's got to be an implication, an application to me as an individual, is there something that maybe I've been reading recently throughout God's word that's wanting to be applied to my life? Am I struggling with an area of obedience? Maybe there's someone here today who's grieving the loss of something in your own life. Maybe there's something that you feel has been taken from you. You say, pastor, that's really odd. You know, nothing got taken from me recently. Maybe it's something that's been the Holy Spirit's been trying to deal with for years. Did you know you can hold a grudge against God? It's not a wise thing to do, but it is something that people do. Maybe it's something where you've held on to something for so long because you're not sure that that was ever God's plan or you, you're confused and you're still upset. It's still not healed. It's still not resolved. It really is dead. 
I can't repair the relationships that I had in Hawaii because I'm thousands of miles away trusting God to help me live a better and a new life now, here and now. But I can believe that God can help me release all the hurt, all the betrayal, all the aggravation, all the stress, and never, ever have to deal with that stuff again. I can be free myself by every time. And I, I say this, and you, I want you to know I'm a regular guy. You probably already know that. But I want you to know every time I see a Ford Ranger pickup, I have a temptation for a thought about a board member in a church thousands of miles away from here. It's very real to me. And there's an opportunity for me every single time the enemy wants to, to raise up something inside of me and help me to just reach out just a little bit and pull that grudge closer to my heart and let it find its soil in there. But God doesn't want that. He wants me to be free. And I am here to tell you, I live in freedom from that. It's a constant process, but I live in freedom to this day. And I can celebrate with that church all that God is doing in that church here and now as a result of me being free. So I say that to give you an example. Maybe it's something that's in your life that you're grieving the loss of, something or someone, a job, an issue. Maybe it's something in your family history that happened years ago. But yet, still here and now, you're wondering, can God do anything with that pile of garbage that you've got? That stinky, smelly thing that we call life. Maybe, maybe we're feeling hopeless in an area of our life as we face a new year. Maybe you look at your budget and you think about your finances and you feel a little bit hopeless about what's going to happen in the new year. Maybe you, you're worried about decisions having to do with children or school or finance, whatever it might be, a new job or a new opportunity. All of these things, God wants to help you through every single step of the way. So God does renew. He does recreate. He does restore he does revive and bring to fresh life and new life something that was dead. He's done it before. He's done it in my life. And I know he can do it for you.